welcome to another Medicine360 podcast, a project that aims to explore the myriad of ways in which medicine and the arts intersect. This podcast is hosted by me, Jasmine Virk, a junior doctor working in Bristol, having started work as a newly qualified doctor during the COVID-19 pandemic. I am joined today by my guest speaker, Kerry Mead. Kerry is a freelance writer and creator of 19 Stories, a digital archive that captures the stories of ordinary people during the extraordinary time of the COVID-19 pandemic. I am fascinated by the role that narratives play in illness and medicine, and I'm delighted that Kerry is joining us today to explore the role that stories and the ability to share stories have played in this turbulent time. Hello, Kerry. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, it's lovely to meet you. And um, what inspired you to create this project, 19 Stories? I think like a lot of people at the start of uh, the pandemic last year, I was struggling to make sense of the world we'd suddenly been thrown into and um, trying to find ways of processing the pandemic and feeling a bit helpless. Um, I threw myself into writing and in late April last year, I asked my Facebook friends to share their experiences of being single or in a couple during lockdown for an article I was writing. Um, so many people replied wanting to tell their story and not just about their romantic relationships. It felt like everyone was desperate to share their experience, to be heard in some way. Um, I think 2020 brought us all a new uncommon experience, but depending on who we are and where we are and what our responsibilities are, this experience looked really different for everyone. And many of us have gone through things and experienced issues we never thought we would have to. Um, and it was also a time when we were forced to hold up a mirror to ourselves as well. So we were we were going through things we hadn't gone through before. Um, I felt the urge to start collecting the, collecting the stories, to find some way of getting them out there. Um, and lots of people who I approached to contribute who offered to talk to me so that they didn't think their story was interesting enough or other people had it worse somehow. But what I wanted to get across in the way that I collected them was that everyone's experience was valid. And I felt that people could learn from hearing how things were for other people. So um, I asked a friend to help me out and um, we decided to set up a website and kind of use it as a digital archive to collect real people's experiences of what they were going through in the pandemic. Yeah, and I, I think that's really evident from the archive. You've created a kind of breadth of, of stories that encompasses lots of different people. But these are stories, yes, from in and around Bristol, but, you know, also people from, from all over the world, really. How did you find people? Did people mainly come to you or did you reach out to people as well? Um. I mean, most stories did come to me organically from friends or friends of friends, but I didn't want the project to be just about my corner of the world or more people who were just like me. So I started private messaging people on Instagram who I followed or using the power of hashtags to find people talking about their personal experiences of the pandemic, as well as um, contacting some bloggers that I'd come across who were talking about it, who seemed to have something interesting to say. I mean, I mean, that's really interesting that, you know, you, you wanted to reach out to people as well. And 
And I think there, to me, there are lots of different themes that are reflected in the stories that you've created in your archive. But there are three main themes that kind of stood out to me personally and, and three themes that I thought we could kind of focus on in, in today's podcast. And those were motherhood, isolation and loneliness, and also community and empowerment. Um, so on the topic of motherhood, we can, I've, we've been fortunate enough to... Um, to have access to a recording by Dr. Anna Housel, a GP who lives in London. And she's agreed to produce a recording specifically for this podcast. Now, this excerpt details her experiences in lockdown as a single parent. It's a raw, vulnerable and emotional story. Um, and I think if we could take a minute to listen to it now, we can discuss it afterwards. Mothering in a pandemic. Not something I expected to be on my list of life experiences. As I write this, we're a few days from the first anniversary of lockdown in the UK. If you told me a year ago how this year would pan out, I'd have laughed in your face. Said you'd been watching too many zombie apocalypse films. Everything we've been through in the past year has been totally unknown. A year ago, I was returning to work from maternity leave. We had a little birthday tea for my one-year-old, just us, but we'd reschedule with friends in a few months. My daughter's school was clothing for a while, but that was manageable. I would homeschool and squeeze in work. My daughter would still go to her dad's every other weekend. Life would be a bit strange for a while, but we'd muddle through. Cut to today, a year on. I did not see the depths of what was coming. I guess it started to dawn on me one beautiful early April morning, up with the baby. I stepped onto our balcony and something hit me. Utter silence. Now we live in a London near the North Circular Road and silence is unheard of, no pun intended. It was world shatteringly striking. I remember the first time I went to the shops after a couple of weeks of being in lockdown. I had the baby in the buggy and I clutched my daughter's hand. People were standing in silence, spaced out queues for the chemist in the supermarket. Nothing else moved. It looked like the zombie apocalypse had arrived after all. I feel like everything I thought I knew has broken down in the past year. The world has broken. So many people are on their knees, exhausted, especially the mothers and those in caring and key professions, those who've been working relentlessly doing seven more jobs than usual. Food and money are scarce for many people. Survival is pressing. My family has broken down. My daughter's father has become more aggressive in his pursuance of time with her, ruthless in his legal tactics. I faced my own powerlessness of her no longer living with me, well, mostly with me, my grief and my fears for how to protect her and me. I faced difficult truths and decisions around work. My income and clients are all gone. It's time to get real about what's next, about how I can make a difference. And mothering all in all this... That's been the hardest part and the most powerful part. I've faced myself, warts and all, over and over again. I've realised how much, in all my 40 years of pre-pandemic life, I've lived in avoidance. How much, and this isn't easy to say, I haven't been able to be with my kids because it brought up so much of my own unresolved pain. Yet I've just been pretending we were all fine and I was needed elsewhere. When the world shut down, I couldn't do that anymore. I was home, 
alone with the kids and no escape. I've had to get on with it and deal with what's come up. It's been really messy. Both literally, I can't remember the last time I got the hoover out, and in terms of emotions and behaviour. I'm not proud of some of the moments I've had, some of the things I've said. The amount of times I've yelled at my partner to leave, or felt the desperation well up inside me. Yet we're still here. Pretty raw, but a lot more real and a lot more alive. We're now real human beings living our real lives rather than shadows of ourselves, or dare I say it, zombies. How? Because of each other, because of human connection. While we've mostly wanted each other to F off, we've also held each other together. I've been avoiding human connection my whole life because it was too painful. Yet when I was forced to go through that pain, there were people who stuck with me. And on the other side, I'm actually more alive, not dead, more real. A bit like the Velveteen Rabbit. Michelle Tolfrey recently described mothering as to treat someone with kindness and affection and to try to protect that person from danger or difficulty. For me, the most important thing I've learned so far from this pandemic is the reality of doing that for myself and for the people around me. I don't think it's even about having kids or people in your home. It's just about whoever's in your life. The person in boots handing over your prescription the car insurance guy chatting shit about the weather. I've learned that me being real and them being real in our real lives is not a luxury, it's essential. We need the care, protection and inspiration of others to live. We can't do it alone. I've tried. I've watched my kids recently start to play together. There's a big age gap, so this is new. She'll build a den, she'll set up camp, and he'll just follow her around, happy to be alongside her, his creative, wild playmate and defender. He comes more alive through her seeing him and being with him. Without her, his world is more grey. He can survive, but not really live. So for me, if there's one thing to take forwards, really one thing that's actually going to save human being, it's that. I've learned that mothering in its widest sense, is everything. A very powerful recording. I'm sure you'll agree. I do, yeah, yeah. And it's very interesting. Anna's a GP who lives in London, but actually what I took from that extract is that one of the hardest things, or the hardest thing that she's done during this pandemic is learn how to navigate motherhood in a completely different and alien landscape. I think... Anna reveals a lot of her vulnerability in a very kind of raw way. Mm. And, you know, in this pandemic, there's been a lot of media coverage of of doctors as as heroes and people who are invincible, the same with kind of carers and anyone who takes on this kind of caring role. Do you think stories like this help to see people as more real, as Anna says. We see people in a, in a very different, more real way than we did before. Is that, is that something you've, you've kind of felt with these stories? They uncover an other side to people. I mean, definitely. And, um, and looking at the, the, the case of NHS workers and key workers being called heroes, for example, I mean, the rhetoric fed to us that all key workers, especially NHS workers, are heroes, came from a good place originally, I think. But 
it quickly turned into a kind of fetishization, uh, which Tracy, one of 19 Stories contributors, did a great job of commenting on. And in my opinion, this sort of fetishization, it became damaging. Um, I mean, it's in its very nature, it turns the object into something beyond human. And pedestals can be really lonely places. And we we kind of lost sight of the fact that doctors, nurses, care home workers, um, although they've been undeniably brave and selfless during the worst of the pandemic, they're human beings. Some of them were dying unnecessarily. Most of them were exhausted and frustrated. They weren't actually superhuman at all. Um, And I think that, you know, Anna's experience and her sharing that experience with people it does put us back in touch with the fact that um, we're all human and we've all been dealing with something really, really difficult, a new landscape, like you said. And I think that personal, personal and like sometimes mundane stories shared by key workers and, and mothers and whatever our roles are, um, they, they do something to humanise in the eyes of readers and to remind people that, they're people just like you and me doing our best yeah I think that's a really important message it's just people being people and you know there's another story on 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 your website I'll read you an extract here which I think really shows that actually you know mothering really is one of the hardest jobs that can be asked of of a person um and I think and, you know, I wonder if, if you'll agree, I hope that you'll agree, that it's important that women have spaces like your website that enable them to share their stories and feel empowered by it. So this is one of the, the stories that I'm going to I'm gonna put to you now. And I, I think it's interesting because of the, the contrast between a mother who is a nurse but who isn't working, who is supporting her husband who's a nurse who is working. Once the country went into lockdown... And it was apparent how the timing had worked out for the southwest. The hospital was left with more staff than patients. The wards had been cleared of patients that were fit enough to leave and be cared for elsewhere. Wards then closed and the excess staff were sent to various wards to fill what would have been the bank shifts. So this lady is a mother who's a bank nurse who, as a result of the pandemic, has surprisingly found herself in a position where she doesn't actually have enough work because those bank shifts have been filled by staff redeployment. And she talks about her guilt at not working and says, you know, she instead focuses on supporting her husband who has a permanent nursing position and raising her children instead. Um, And I just wanted to pick up on that point that, you know, sometimes these mundane stories really reflect what are unseen and hidden challenges, especially particularly for women um, all the work that goes on behind closed doors. What do you what do you think about having that space where women can express that? I mean, it's undeniably important, and it's also you know you can't deny the fact that bringing up children is hard work. I mean, I know this as a mother myself. And before the pandemic and during the pandemic, and probably beyond the pandemic, parenting has not been taken seriously enough, and kind of looked down on in comparison to paid labour and I mean especially for women we feel this keenly 
I mean, I gave up a full-time career to become a carer for my autistic son a few years ago. So it's something I've thought about a lot over the years. Um, That embarrassment of being asked, what do you do when meeting people for the first time, for example, Um, not knowing how to respond and feeling judged. And and Carrie-Anne's guilt in her story really struck me. She didn't see herself as useful staying home and homeschooling. Um, You know, stepping back from nursing to make sure her children were happy and settled and safe made her just as much of a hero as it, to me, as she was when she was in her nurse's uniform. And I think the pandemic's really shown us how we've a long way to go before we live in a truly equal society when it comes to gender issues. Um, I mean, the burden of homeschooling, parenting, whilst juggling jobs. It fell hardest into the laps of women, I know. And yeah. female friends compl- complained to me that they felt like they'd been transported back to the 1950s. Right. Um, so I hope like this last year has shown us how important and how exhausting and how thankless being a parent can be at times. And, you know, I, I hope that creating a space where women have shared those stories will go some way to helping people see that and and yeah I mean I've I've rambled on a bit but to your original question I think I think it's incredibly important that we do create these spaces for women um in in particular because our voices are often the ones at home going unheard yeah I agree and I I think you know on that point that can be quite an isolating space an isolating time um you know, people who feel that their stories aren't being heard. Because as you say, interestingly, a lot of people didn't feel that their stories were important enough or or valuable enough to contribute anything to this collective experience, even though it was an experience that all of us were going through in, in some way or another. Yeah. And, you know, I think undoubtedly the pandemic has been incredibly difficult for so many people. Um, and I think that's really, really evident in some of the stories that you've collated on 19 Stories. Um, one particularly moving story that I that I read was where a daughter talks about the experience of her father's death during the pandemic. Um, and I think this is particularly poignant to talk about today, given that, you know, we, we've heard the news that oh, uh, hugging is something that, you know, may be reinstated. Um, And I think this is particularly powerful quote. It says, I didn't touch anyone on the day of dad's funeral. I didn't get one hug or give one hug. Everything felt so distant to the point now it almost feels like it hasn't happened. There's no denying that that is kind of encapsulates a physical, social, psychological isolation that so many people have felt at different points during the pandemic. How important is telling a story and, and having your story heard? And, you know, how, how can that kind of be a substitute for physical touch? Can it be a, can it be a substitute? And, you know, what way does sharing stories go towards that? I mean, loneliness and isolation are about so much more than physical distance from others. I mean, how else can we feel lonely in a crowded room, for example, or when we're in a in a relationship? And, I mean, I do understand that the physical isolation of lockdown has been extremely hard. I've felt it myself. But 
Loneliness is a lot to do with a lack of intimacy, of not being seen or understood or feeling our stories are listened to. And I think telling our stories and sharing our feelings, knowing that they are heard and understood, I mean, feeling seen, even if we can't be physically close to others, it can really help with that loneliness. And I like to think that hearing other people's stories as well, especially if you can relate to them in some way and recognise a little bit of yourself in them, they give us a sense of connection to help with that isolation. Um, yeah, I mean, a good example of this is the lifeline provided by social media for many during the pandemic. It's given us a chance to connect with others. And, and interestingly, you talked about that was a way in which you reached out to people to, to get people to tell their stories was through social media. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, you know, at some points when lockdown was really, really tough and hard, it was sometimes the only way to reach out to people. And, you know, I've, I've become a lot more involved in online communities over the last year. And um, I don't know how I would have got that through lockdown without them. And I do find it very interesting that um, the role that um that social media and technology is played in actually is in helping us with our loneliness and isolation yeah i agree I, I think it's an interesting point how you know we talk about our generations growing up are they a disconnected generation because you know a lot of their social interactions happen via social media or in fact does that open up a whole other world alongside our kind of physical world, if you will, which wouldn't have otherwise existed and providing, you know, connections and relationships that wouldn't otherwise have happened. I think what's important about online forums, like ones that you've mentioned, are all about sharing stories and being heard. Um, and I think here is, is another quote that I'm going to put to you, which is, which is from a story on, on the archive, which said, talks a lot about about loneliness and, and vulnerability and it says this crisis we are in illuminates my sense of self and in it I am stranded still inside a child but outside adult and very much alone now I think this raises an interesting question that I quite like to put to you mm. which is do you think people are making themselves more vulnerable by sharing their stories and having them put out there for other people to scrutinize and mm. and contemplate and talk about or do you think there's something to be said by telling your own story regardless of what other people might think and reclaiming you know autonomy around your story and, and your voice and I just wondered what you thought about that as an idea um I mean it's it's really interesting and and it's something I did think about a lot because I wanted people to feel they could tell their stories safely. And I think in order to tell the whole honest story, one thing I knew straight away was that this would not work if people couldn't share their stories anonymously if they wanted to. You know, that people would feel too vulnerable to that scrutiny and judgment of readers. if They had to share their stories in their own names. Um, so I always made it very clear that sharing anonymously was okay. And I didn't want people to feel exposed or uncomfortable. Um, and I mean, many of the more personal stories are anonymous. And I think that fact that being anonymous was encouraged, gave people a freedom to express themselves, to open up about their wounds and their fears, to, but to feel safe 
and and for me the more personal stories are the most beautiful the ones that really get under the skin of the human condition during the pandemic and I feel really really lucky that people trusted me enough to be able to share them um I mean interestingly I shared one of my own stories anonymously on the site and it was one that I would not have shared in my own name and sharing in the it gave me power and helped me process the issues I talked about. And yes, I, I did feel more in control of my own narrative, getting it out there. So I hope that the other people who shared really personal stuff anonymously also felt power and control in doing so. I agree. I think it's really interesting. And, and just as kind of a side note, I suppose, as a doctor, you know, you're privileged to a lot of people's personal stories that they perhaps have not shared with anybody else at all. Um, but of course, in a setting of a, a face-to-face consultation, there is no chance to be anonymous. That kind of power, I suppose, is taken from somebody by virtue of that doctor-patient relationship. And it's a trusted position and it's a privileged one. Um but I find it really interesting how, you know, how many more people feel empowered to share their stories under, you know, anonymity. And it's interesting that you yourself said that you'd shared a story which you wouldn't have felt comfortable to share if you had to put your name to that. And, and you know, I find it really refreshing how much, how much more of an insight we get into people's lives. Um, just by virtue of saying, you know, you you don't have to put your name to this, but if you feel that it will help you, then please get your story out there. And, and, you know, I think that's really important. And also the message that everybody's story matters, no matter whether it's something heroic or something mundane. Often, as you said, everyday acts are the most powerful. Um, And I think that's that's a really important message just to, to put across to people who are listening. You know, your story is valuable. Um, And I think now we can go back to a point which is very interesting um, about how people have also, you know, felt a sense of community and empowerment during the pandemic, whether that's kind of through physical solidarity. And we saw obviously a lot of protest movements and the rise of the BLM movement during the COVID-19 pandemic, or whether that's through, you know, forums online and anonymity even bringing people together. and there are lots of stories, you know, that, that you've shared on your website, um, which really focus on the on the role of, of kind of community empowerment, cohesiveness. Um, there are people who talk about volunteering for new roles for the first time, delivering medicines, meeting previously unknown neighbours, feeling more at home in their community during a time of social distancing than they ever had before. Um and I'm also struck by the role of the arts, that the role that the arts plays in bringing people together and the stories that people have shared about that. Um, for example, and I'll read you an extract of this uh, story now, something as simple as, as music, how that works in kind of bringing people together. Um, so this is a, a lady who, for her birthday in the middle of lockdown, um, one of the best presents she could have received was a compilation of songs that her friends had sent her. And this is what she said. There were so many other beautiful moments, my birthday in particular, 
Leading up to my birthday in May, I thought, right, what do I really want for my birthday? I got everyone to send me their favourite tunes on Spotify and made a playlist. And do you know what was so beautiful about it? As everyone sent in their tunes, you could hear in those tunes why they had chosen it, and you could hear a little bit of that person. And, you know, I, I think that's beautiful. It's, it's a way of, you know, using kind of art and something as simple as a song that reminds you of a memory to bring people together. And I know, you know, as, as someone who has experience in the music industry themselves, what are your thoughts on kind of, you know, using arts and, and music to, to bring people together in that way? I mean, oh, God, I love the story of the Spotify playlist. Um, I mean, it really shows us how music and other art forms gave us human connection when we couldn't be together. Um, yeah, as you as you mentioned, I'm really passionate about music, although I'm not a musician. And I ate live streams alive and any chances to share music with people throughout the lockdowns. And I gained a lot of comfort from any shared experience I could. And it, it became obvious that so many people used art and creativity and art forms in all their myriad ways to process their personal feelings. Um, like the artists who shared their work with 19 Stories as well. And I know my writing has kept me sane and connected through the lockdowns. I think the arts had a massive role to play in our collective healing going forward. And, you know, a way of sharing our experiences and our pain and our grief and finding interpretations of our own experiences in the work of others. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what comes out of this period um, in the way of music, art, um, all the different forms of creativity. Um, you know, I think it, it's going to really be a way for people to know that they didn't go through anything alone, that other people were experiencing the same. I think that's really interesting. Um, and I think, you know, another important point here is um, you have a photographer on your on your website who as a way of kind of sharing his story, I suppose, um, expressed it through the medium that he was most familiar with, which in this case was photography. And he took self-portraits portraying his emotions physically um, each day during lockdown. Um, and, you know, he, he used those photographs to represent exactly how he was feeling. And I think it's an important point to make that stories don't just have to be written words. They can be in the form of kind of music. They can be photography. They can be dance. Um, and, you know, is that something that you saw when people were kind of contributing to your website that, you know, they wanted to express themselves kind of through the arts in, in whatever way felt most natural to them? I mean, definitely. I mean, when I was saying to people, I, I, I want people to share their stories, you know, again, in the same way as people are saying mine isn't important, people are saying, well, I can't write. You know, it was like, I don't, I don't mean I've, I want people to just send in essays. I want people to send in their experiences in whatever way um, feels comfortable to them. You know, we, we had um, people, um, I had somebody send in a painting and, as you said, a photographer, um, the, the woman who shared her, who I interviewed, actually, um, who was talking about her Spotify playlist. You know, she provided me with the whole playlist which I, I listened to as well. And it, it, it added and it added a layer of, of understanding, definitely, about 
what her experience of the pandemic was. Um, yeah, it was really interesting to see what people were putting in. And we had a couple of videos as well from um, filmmakers as well. It is. It's, it's really interesting and, and refreshing to see kind of the myriad of ways, I suppose, in, in which arts have kind of brought people together. Yeah. And I guess on that note, it's important to talk about, we, we've talked about how art can bring people together and it'll be interesting to see, you know, what forms of uh, artistic expression arise as, as a result of people's lived experiences during COVID. But, you know, what what are your thoughts about the future of the art industry in the UK? Obviously, we know the arts have been hit really, really hard during this period. Um, and, you know, do do you think that art actually has a role to play in healing the human cost of the pandemic? And this is something that we should be funding and thinking about and actively pushing for. Um, definitely. Um, I think, yeah, as I said, I think it's got a massive role to play um, in helping us move forward. Um, but will this be honoured and prioritised as the UK recovers? And I don't, I don't think it will, sadly. I mean, we've seen the arts industry. I think it's been thrown under a bus over the last year or so. I mean, it doesn't seem important to those in power, um, which we can see. We can see it in the pitiful amount of financial support the cultural sector and those for whom it's their livelihoods have received. And you only have to look at the fact that Primarchs up and down the country were reopened, whilst art galleries and theatres and cinemas and live music venues, they remained and they do still remain closed and I think the UK's recovery is very much going to be weighted towards economic recovery over cultural and emotional recovery um you know I mean creativity and culture enriches us and heals us but does it make much money um you know and is I don't see our emotional and mental well-being as a society will come second to money in in the period of recovery that we're hopefully moving into now. I think, you know, hopefully, as you say, we are moving into a recovery, but I think it's, it's a really important message that art needs to be a part of that recovery and is in fact essential to healing the human cost of the pandemic as opposed to purely the economic and, and financial costs. Um, and that's a, a really important message going forward. So Kerry, thank you so much for being part of this conversation today about the role of stories in, in COVID-19 and the important part that they have to play in helping f- people feel heard and in helping them to heal. It's been wonderful to speak to you and thank you so much for your time. I've enjoyed it loads. Thank you as well, Jasmine. Thank you to Kerry for joining us and thank you for listening to our latest Medicine 360 podcast where we have discussed the importance of storytelling in the COVID-19 pandemic. To find some of the stories discussed in this podcast, as well as a host of other narratives, please visit www.19stories.net. If you are interested in the medical humanities, please head to www.medicine360.co.uk for further information and resources. Music